What is that, dude? Media tea. Oh, maybe trying to raise up an army here, man. Let me put that cute, them cute pictures up. God bless you, sister. All right, welcome, welcome to uh, New Philadelphia. It's good to see everybody here today. Yeah, just set that drone up. All right. You ready to hear the word of the Lord today? Say amen. Just keep your uh, finger on Ephesians chapter 2. The word of God says here today that you are no longer strangers. Hallelujah. This is good news, brothers and sisters. You know, some of us, we did an outreach yesterday in Itaewon. And uh, we had to approach complete strangers about the gospel. Because we talked about when we bring our friends, our coworkers, our family members to church. That's not really going. That's just bringing. That's just, uh, what, what, is that the word I used yesterday? Anyway, it's not going, all right? Going means you got to step out of your comfort zone and talk to people you don't know. So a bunch of us, we went to Itaewon yesterday and we approached strangers to share the gospel. And it was not easy. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Now, why? Because we didn't know who they were. We didn't know who we were talking to, what they were about. And at one point, the Bible is saying... That we also did not know who God was. And we were a stranger to God. And God a stranger to us. Hallelujah. But praise the Lord. He has made himself known to us through his son. And for all who call upon his name. God has given the right to become children of God. All who call on his name. We are no longer Strangers. We are sons. We are adopted as children of the Most High God. And this text also talks about aliens. You are no longer aliens. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The immigration kind of alien. You are no longer aliens. Hallelujah. If you look earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, look in verse 12. Verse 12 tells us, Remember that you, and by you, Paul's talking about the Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. Before God sent his son, all Gentiles, all non-Jews were separated from God. And how many people are, how many Jews do we have in the house here? Anyone, anyone of Jewish descent? Okay. Our Brady kind of, our Brady's like one-tenth Jew, I don't know. Look, that, almost all of us in here, we are non-Jews, which means back in the day, they would have called us Gentiles. And the Bible is telling us that before God sent his son, all Gentiles were separated from God. 
You are an alien to Israel and you are a stranger to covenant, to the covenants of promise. And the Bible says you had no hope because you had no God. Read 13 through 16 with me. Keep, there is a wonderful passage here. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful, that's an awesome passage right there. This passage is loaded. Hallelujah. Let me just break it down real quick. Back in Herod's temple, that was a temple that existed around Paul's time and Jesus' time. Uh, Gentiles, non-Jews, were permitted to enter just the outer enclosure of the temple. And this section of the temple was called Torch Seminarians. What is it called? It's not called the outer, it's called the Court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles, all right? Gentiles, uh, study your books more. Gentiles were physically prevented any further access to the inner course of the temple by a four and a half foot high barrier. And these walls, these barriers were inscribed with Greek and Latin writing, warning Gentiles not to enter. And in effect, it would read, if you enter, you will die. That's what it said. So, you know, you know these Gentiles, they were like, oh, let's, let's try it. But, you know, a lot of them, they, they never did it. Because that wall, it, it was everywhere. It, it said, you enter, you die. That's the, pretty much it said. Like, literally, it would say, your blood, the blood of your death will be on your own head. Hallelujah. And so this is what Paul is writing about. He's referring to this dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about the physical walls that were set up around the inner courts so that it prevented Gentiles from proceeding closer to God. Now imagine visiting this, uh, this temple in Jesus' time. Right? Uh, even if you wanted to draw near to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, every time you stepped into the court of the Gentiles, that wall of hostility will remind you it will make you, every time you go in, even if you wanted to become familiar with this God, it would have made you feel like an alien. It would have made you feel like a stranger. Because this wall of hostility prevented you from proceeding any closer. Now Paul tells us in verse 14 that by Christ's death and resurrection, he has broken down this wall of hostility. Hallelujah. He has broken down this dividing wall of hostility. And by breaking down this dividing wall, God has created in himself one new man in place of two. That means, hallelujah, for all the dispensationalists out there. Yeah, I don't think there's any dispensationalists in here, but dispensationalists believe that there is a literal plan for Israel. And that we are living in a parenthetical time. That the plans and purposes of God for Israel 
have not died, have not been forsaken. They are just held off in the time of the church age. And then after the completion of the church age, God will fulfill it all in the Jewish people. Now, there's an extent of that that's true. But the way they interpret scripture is it's a very literal reading of a lot of the Old Testament texts that talk about how God will fulfill uh, all these purposes in Israel. Now, uh, us in the Reformation tradition, we generally interpret these Old Testament texts to be talking about the church. We are spiritual Israel. And we inherit, right? The Bible says we are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to that promise. So the promise given to Abraham gets fulfilled in Christ and distributed to all non-Jews. And so where Jews wanted to say there are Jewish Christians and then there are Gentiles, Christians, Paul was saying, no, God has broken down that wall of hostility to create one new man. Hallelujah. And so God is reconciling both Gentiles and Jews to God in one body through the cross. So in Christ, there is no more Jew or Gentile, black or white, Korean or Chinese. He has broken down all walls of hostility and he's creating one new man. He's preparing one church. And when he marries, when he comes again in the second coming, he's coming to marry the one true church. Uh, He's going to prepare her. Right when he comes, she's going to be beautiful. She's not going to be all backslidden and and compromising and topsy-turvy and all this stuff. When he returns, he's going to make sure the bride that he sees is a beautiful, radiant bride. With people from all nations, every tribe, tongue, Every tribe, nation, and tongue. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, in verse 19, verse 19 says, So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, for you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The good news is that we are no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, and we are members. Everyone say members. Members Members of the household of God. Of God. Now, what is the household of God? But bam, show me what is the household of God, Caleb. Show me, Caleb. What is the household of God? First Timothy three fifteen. Come on, come on, get on it, man. Don't cut my flow here. The Word of God says, "If I delay, you may you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God." Paul defines it. The household of God, which is the church. What is it? The church. Hallelujah. So the Bible says that we are members of the household, the family. We are members of the church. Hallelujah. This is good news to somebody. Yes, hallelujah. So, according to this passage... The household of God is the church of God. And later on, I'm going to talk about what is the church. And what today, what I want to do is I'm going to preach about what it really means to be a member of the household of God. To be a member of the church. What does that mean? Now, before I talk about what it means to be a member of the church, we must first establish what is the church. 
Turn to your neighbor and ask them that. What is the church? I'll tell you what it's not. The church is not a social club. Hallelujah. <laughs> the church is not a meat market. Can I get an amen? amen? Not a meat market. It's not a place where you get free refreshments. I hope that's not why some of y'all are coming. In fact, the church is not where people go to worship. Let me get this in your heads today. In fact, the church is not a building, brothers and sisters. The church is not a building. The church meets in a building, but the church is not a building. So check this out. If the sanctuary, some knucklehead played with fire in the sanctuary this week, and this whole building burned down, check it out. Next Sunday, we'll still be having church. We will still gather for worship. I don't care if it's under a tent. I don't care if it's in a subway station. Oh, we can't do it in a subway station. But we will get together somewhere. Somebody got a big house here. All right, just a backup plan so I know in advance. But we, we, we might not have a building, but we will still have church. Because church is not a building. Yesterday we saw a video, Patricia King's uh, ministry, Extreme Prophetic. They have this video, and this is this dude, he, I forget his name. He's a real cool dude. He goes out to all the street evangelism. And he's got the crazy goatee, and, and he's just all on fire for God. He gets words of knowledge. He heals people right on the street. And he had his shirt on. And on the front of his shirt, it says, don't go to church. And you're like, what? What kind of shirt? Why would you wear that shirt when you're going out evangelizing? Don't go to church. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, well, hey, I'm here to talk to you about Christ. Oh, okay. Why does your shirt say don't go to church? All right. And then if you flip it around, you go to the back of his shirt. It says, be the church. Oh, hallelujah. That just exposed all of your internal thinking. Because all of us, we think of, when we think of the church, we think of it as a building. But it's not. Uh, Mark Dever, in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he defines it this way. According to the New Testament, the church is primarily a body of people who profess and give evidence that they have been saved by God's grace alone, for His glory alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Hallelujah. As you can tell, this guy is very reformed. Did you know that for the first 300 years of Christian history, churches didn't even have church buildings? They just met wherever people gathered. And for the first, for most of my years in, in ministry, I thought of the word church as referring to the universal church of believers from all over the world. That's the, in my thinking, that's how I liked using the word church because uh, like some of you, I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed with institutionalized churches. And so when I use that word church, I like to keep it pure. I like to keep it undefiled. So I only thought of it as referring to the universal church. Now, when used in this way, no one knows exactly how many members there are in this church and where they live 
what they look like. Because it's a mystery. You can't, nobody has the statistics. There's no way to really get it except God. And it's a cool mystery. I think it's a cool mystery that, you know, only God knows. And there's certain ways in the scriptures it talks about the word church in that way. But I did a word study on the word church. And I was surprised to find that the vast majority of the use of this word in the Bible, it refers to a local visible congregation of people who are committed to Christ and to each other. Vast majority of the times. I I was thinking it's the other way. I was wrong. The Bible uses the word church to talk about a local congregation. Hallelujah. A church is a body from which you can be excluded and therefore in which you can clearly also be included. I want you to keep that, keep that in mind. Now, now that we've established what a church is, right? When I talk about church right now, I'm not talking about the universal church. Although we can use the word that way. We will use the capital C when we mention the universal church. But when we use the word church, when I say that, I mean the local church. Now, let's talk about how young people behave toward the church today. Let's talk about this. Many young Christians today are what I call bunny believers. You can write that in your notes. Bunny believers. Instead of committing, they hop from one church to another without any accountability, covering, or commitment. It's like a movie theater. They just go where the best movies are playing. They just go where the best shows are. Oh, how's that preacher? How's that pastor? Hallelujah. And I know a lot of you are here because the preacher is so good, right? Amen. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. God humble me. <clears throat> Hallelujah. No. But yeah, I mean, these young believers today, they just hop. They're bunny believers. They hop and hop, 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 hop. And they think that Christianity is all just about believing. And they fail to realize that Christianity is also about belonging. Hit me up with Romans 7.4. Likewise, my brothers, look up on the screen. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So what? So that you may belong to who? To another. There are passages in the Bible that says through Christ's death, you belong to Christ. But this verse clearly tells us that through the body of Christ, he he has done this so that you may belong to one another. Do you know that you are your brother's keeper? God holds you responsible for keeping your brother responsible. No. Cain was like, am I my brother's keeper? And then all the Christians, they get that mixed up. They're like, oh, that's a good saying. Yeah. So they use that. Like, am I my brother's keeper? That's the words of Cain. He killed Abel. He murdered Abel just now. You don't want to use his line. Get your Bible story straight. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. In the church, you belong to one another, which means you are responsible to love one another. Love, not just meaning, oh, being gentle and loving, and let me just buy you some fries. But love meaning, man, what did you look at on the internet this week? 
Love meaning, hey man, you need to step up to leadership. It's about time. Love meaning, look, I know that that's not good for you. That relationship's no good for you. I'm going to tell you the truth with love. That's love right there. Where we are being responsible for each other's faith and our lives. And, you know, we can't police it. When God's not telling us to police it, but to belong to one another. Hallelujah. A lot of people in the church today, they have, there's a fear of commitment. They have this fear that if they commit to one thing that's good, they will miss out on something better. So with that basic lie, they have a fear of commitment. And some people, man, they spend years going from major to major to major. They are a major of majors. Because they can't commit to what they're supposed to study. You know, some people in here, they're, they're like that. Other people in here, you just want to keep all your options open for your love life. Man, you could have gotten married like three years ago. But because you're like, man, I can't, I can't, I can't commit to her. Man, what if I commit to her and while I'm committed to her and three months in, I meet somebody, you know, better. I don't want to miss out on that. And this basic lie keeps them from commitment. They go from one boyfriend to another because they can't commit to one. No matter how attractive their partner, they always feel like, oh, it's so akawa. I can't settle down. I'm so akawa. Man, humble yourself, please. What if I miss out? You know what? People who have this attitude, even when they get married, this is the attitude that they take with them. What if I missed out? What if I missed out? You know what? Check it out. That's why we have so much divorce today. People who struggle with commitment phobia are often the same people who can't keep a commitment. I want to challenge you today. As brothers and sisters, just, just deal with that fear. Deal with those lies. Because God has good things for you. If you will follow his plans and commit to the path that he has shown you. And some people, they ask me for counsel over and over again. And they say, Christian, can you pray for me? And man, the answer is the same answer I gave you three months ago. You know, I don't need to be a prophet to tell you that. The issue is not an issue of revelation. It's an issue of commitment. It's an issue of willingness, submission, surrender. Now, unfortunately, this attitude has spilled over to how young people behave toward the church. Instead of committing to a local church, young believers like to date the church. Have you ever dated the church? You ever go to a church? Hey, hey, yeah. And you meet some people. Yeah, man, I'll be back, man. I love the service, man. I love it. And you never call them back. It's like this date you had with this. And you give the impression that you had this great, wonderful date with a person. Hey, I'll call you. I'll call you. And you liar. You know what, that's what, what that's, how, that's how I'm tempted to feel sometimes. Newcomers be like, oh yeah, you know, even yesterday on the streets, you know, oh yeah, I'll come to church today. Yeah, I don't see none of them right here. <laughs> you know, I'm just tempted to think, man, you liar. Don't play me like that. You're a player. I know you're kind. You've been, you've been you dating all them churches. I know you. I heard about you. Because people be dating the church, man. This is, this is serious right here. They start off really liking a church, but after some time, they have some interpersonal conflict. Instead of confronting the people that are involved, 
person finds it easier to just move to another church. Or the person may go to another church, uh, or the person gets involved, starts serving at the church, gets involved in leadership, but then they begin to feel that they're underappreciated. So they just move on to another church that will make them feel more esteemed. I'm telling you, when you go to a new church, they get excited. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you're about. They don't know your weaknesses. They don't know your, you know, your struggles. They don't know your character. They're just like, you are, per- you are perfect. Come. You know? Once they get to know you, then, you know, they start treating you the way they should treat you. And I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. They shouldn't treat you that way. They should love you. Hallelujah. But, you know, sometimes all of us, you know, we're going to feel underappreciated when we're, when we're around in a certain place long enough. Now, the answer is not to go to a new church. If God is calling you to stay there, commit. I learn to love as well as you're seeking to be loved. You know, the people that get loved the most in this church? It's John Michael. <laughs> John Michael gets a lot of love here. Why? Because he's always, he's, he's so committed, he's steadfast. And he just loves on people. When you give, you will receive. (laughs) And some people, they just date around and through the whole process, the person never truly inquires of the Lord about where God wants them. And the spirit of the Lord is grieved in the life. There's no anointing. There's no fruit. There's no lasting fruit. The person just bounces around, ineffective for the kingdom of God. And to add to this mess, churches have catered their ministry to commitment phobia generation. Instead of holding to biblical standards of holiness and accountability and risk having a smaller congregation, churches aim to make it easy for young people to join. And what they don't know is the flip side of that is it makes it easy for them to leave. And they wonder why their church never really grows, never really matures. They might have the numbers, but everybody's living double lives, compromise. Even when they have leaders that serve in their church, the authority of God's word is not the ultimate authority that the leaders are held accountable to. The leaders are valued for more of their gifting. Now, let me, let me say something right now. Let us not look down our spiritual noises, noses, noses and start criticizing another church. Because this message today, I'm not talking about onuri or jubilee. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about New Philadelphia right now. I'm here to preach the word of God today. I'm going to deliver a word, hallelujah, that's going to prepare this church for the next move of God. Now, let me declare right now that not just in this church, but all over the nations, the days of dating the church are coming to an end. You might think because you have always experienced it, that's the way it's always going to be. You're, you're wrong. It's a lie. 
You keep believing that. You're going to do church that way. It's a lie of the devil. Coming to a day where we're going to kiss dating goodbye. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Hit me up with that. Look up on the screen. It says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us, for her. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the word of God says Christ loves the church. If Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, we also ought to stop dating the church and commit and love the church as Christ loves the church. Amen? We got to learn to be selfless toward her. Our attitude toward the church needs to change. Married men, you know how to love your wife. Or, 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 you know, we're trying by God's grace. Hallelujah. Single men, you are determined to love your bride. Single men or people who are dating, you are determined to love your bride. My, My question is, how is it that you do not know how to love the bride of Christ? You're all about loving your wife, loving my bride. I'm gonna love my bride. That's what my attitude was. I'm gonna love my bride. Am I doing a good job, honey? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we we all always talk about you know all this loving our bride, but you know what? We need to we need to learn how to love the bride of Christ. You know where there is a lack of men at this church. I think the men that are here ought to serve and demonstrate a measure of love for the church that makes up for the men that can't commit. That's a heavy burden. I'm putting it on y'all, men. Take it. Men, I could do this to them. I'd pound them. Men, are men. they do all right. Except a few of the brothers here. We got to be a little more sensitive to them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, check this out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to share with you something very beautiful. In the uh, Old Testament, um, David, King Saul, offered to give his daughter to David as a bride. And David was, oh, who am I to marry the king's daughter? No, I must do something. So King Saul was like, okay, all right. You know what? I, I want you dead. So check this out. Why don't you go out... And get me the foreskins of 100 Philistine warriors. Alright, and that's nasty. That's hard to do. And, and Saul's thinking, man, while he's at it, you know, he's going to die and get rid of him. <clears throat> David returned with double the amount of foreskins. He said, let me have my bride. I have paid the price for my bride with blood. Let me have my bride. And King Saul was like, oh, you can have her. Here. You one gangster dude. Now in contrast, instead of spilling the blood of his enemies, Christ the true David has spilled his blood. 
And instead of circumcising flesh, Christ circumcises hearts today. But one thing is clear. Christ is the passionate groom. And just like David, he is pay for his bride with his own blood. And he is winning this bride from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And Acts 20, 28 says that Christ obtained his bride, the church, by his own blood. Here is the most passionate groom that you will ever meet. Hallelujah. I mean, I paid a big price for my bride. I got her a big fat rock. That cost a lot of money too. It was costly. Nothing compared to the cost that Christ has paid to win your heart. To win the church. To buy the church. Now, since Christ... Obviously, he treasures the church. He's given his blood for this bride. We also ought to treat the church with respect, with honor, with love, brothers and sisters. How is it that Christ pays for the church with his blood? And we come out to church like it's a big show. Like it's a Broadway musical. And we have this consumer mentality. You know, the church exists to glorify God. We gather, yes, for each other. But our audience, when this worship team is up here leading worship, their audience is not you. Their audience is your audience. Your audience is the praise team's audience. And they are all looking to the audience of one. And there's only one audience with a capital A, and he is God. So check this out, brothers and sisters. Dating the church is not the way to go anymore. We need to kiss dating goodbye. Somebody say, I want to kiss dating goodbye. Don't worry, that's not binding to your love life, all right? We're just talking about the church. And I want to encourage you guys, begin to really commit yourself, no matter what the cost. Commit to a local church that God leads you to. He may not have you there forever, but as long as he has you there, you commit yourself there. Stop dating the church. Stop being a bunny believer. Ain't nobody like bunny believers. Hallelujah. Now, all my life, I've noticed that God has always called me to be committed to a local church. Um... Sometimes God has called me to move to new churches. I've gone from huge churches of 2,000 to 20. And other times in my life, God's taken me from a small church to a big church. Not sure exactly why God does the things he does. When I was little, I just followed my mama. My mama knew what, where church I should be at, and I, I made sure I was there. <laughs> but there has never been a period in my life where, where I went more than a few weeks Without committing to a local church. But why is it college students. They spend four years in college. And they can't commit to one local church. 
And even if they say they commit, they're not really committed. They just go at their convenience. They never get involved. Or not even just college students. People who graduate, you get your own jobs. You come, you come here to New Philly for a while. After a while, you don't like it. You go over, hop over Jubilee. After a while, you don't like them. You hop over to Onuri. After a while, you come back to New Philly because, you know, there's a whole bunch of new people here. No, seriously, there have been some people that do that. They hop around and they come back here. Hallelujah. And, and you know, and, and, we, and we bless them. <laughs> I'm telling you, but they're not honoring God. I'm telling you that right now. Rick Warren said it like this. There are many analogies for a Christian disconnected from a church. It's like a football player without a team. It's like a soldier without a platoon. A tuba player without an orchestra. You ever hear a tuba by himself? <laughs> Nasty. Not something you want to listen to when you turn your CD on. It's like a sheep without a flock. And the most understandable and biblical picture is that of a child without a family. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you in here are only child? Raise your hand. Your only child. Right, everybody get a good look at all the spoiled kids in the room. <laughs> now, I'm going to talk to the only child people. If you found out tomorrow that you have five siblings, how would that make you feel? Now, you might get interested and you might get excited. This happened to my brother Anthony. My friend Anthony, that homeboy found out, like, when, after he graduated from college, when he was here in Korea, he found out he had all these sisters. His mama just forgot to tell him about now, you might get initially excited, but as you think about all the years that you could have had together, wouldn't you feel like you got gypped? You grew up all by yourself, playing with all those toys. <laughs> and your Vietnamese friend, that next door, wouldn't come over, play with you. Wouldn't you feel like you got gypped? <clears throat> I mean, let me ask... How many of you in here were adopted? Raise your hand. People, let's get some adoptees in here. If you're adopted, there's a few in here. All right, if you were adopted, okay. Now, let me ask you all this. If you found out tomorrow that your, let's say your parents, you know, last week I, I was eating dinner with some three orphan boys, and I, I asked them each, I asked them about their family background. And they were like, man, let me just eat my gogi. Why are you asking me these questions? They're like, they're all getting upset, angry. And I was like, well, I want to know. Right? What if, what if, let's say you thought that your parents were either dead or they want, that they were impossible to find. But you found out tomorrow that your parents are always available to take you back. And it's just that the paperwork got messed up and you just never found out about it. How would that make you feel? You could have lived with your natural parents. They put you up for adoption, but they wanted you back. Because of paperwork, they could never, they never got to do it. How would that make you feel if you found that out? Wouldn't you feel like you missed out? Even if you had a wonderful adopt, adopted family or foster homes, wouldn't you feel like you missed out? Brothers and sisters, God has surrounded you with spiritual brothers and sisters. 
And he's also provided spiritual mothers and fathers. God has created a spiritual family on earth for each of us. And just as the whole world is made up of families, the whole world, there's different families, different churches. And one's got your name on it for different seasons in your life. And 1 Timothy 3.15 says that this family is the church. The household of God is the church of God. So what I'm saying to y'all today is don't zip yourself. And don't miss out. God doesn't want us growing up, isolated, relating well with Him, but being isolated from the rest of the family. You know, a Christian that doesn't belong to a church family, the Bible says is like, like an orphan. God took you as an orphan. He brought you in. He adopted you. But when He adopts you, most of us, when we think of adoption, we only think of the father to the child. What we forget is all around us, there's uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters. There's a family. So when you get adopted, you not get adopted from fa- to father, son, but you get adopted and you belong to the whole family. And every season of your life, God wants you to be part of this family. Stop dating the church, brothers and sisters. Stop dating the church. Now that we've come to the issue of belonging, let's talk about what it will mean to belong to New Philadelphia. Now, if you're a Christian and you just show up for four of our services, are you now a member of New Philadelphia? Or let's say you've been at JSCM for four years. Are you automatically a member of New Philadelphia? These are good questions. What does it mean to be a member of New Philadelphia Church? Well, I'll tell you right now, if you want to be a member, everyone, including myself, will be expected to step up and commit to the church at the same standard. We're not going to drop the standard and vary it for you. Same standard across the board using the word of God. I don't care if you've been here for four weeks or you've been here for four years. Everyone needs to come under this covering if you're going to be part of this church. Now, if you're only here for a little while and you just want to come out and worship with us as a guest, you're more than welcome to do that. We would love for you to do that. If you're only here for two months, three months, you just want to come out as a guest, praise God. Come out, worship with us. Be committed as much as you can. Just be committed. Try to, you can even serve for those two, three months if you want. The service team is always looking for people. Right, Megan? Hallelujah. So next Sunday, I'm going to be offering membership classes after Sunday service. Uh, I know the announcement's a little short notice, but this has been a prayer request that has been called out every single week for the last like six, seven weeks. Right. And um, this is Korea, by the way. So, you know, you know short notice is like 12 hours. Okay. One week is pretty good notice. Uh, I'm playing, I'm playing. We'll try to notify you better in the future. But I, I have finals until last week. All right, that's seminary, okay? So give me, cut a brother some, break, some slack, all right? Now, check this out. So next Sunday, we're going to have these membership classes. 
for those who are interested in membership with our church. It will be the first time we're doing this, and we are in, excited to proceed. And it's at that time that I will go over the responsibilities and benefits of being a member. I'm not going to talk about it here. And there will be a covenant. You can go through the class. doesn't mean you will automatically become a member. At the end of the class, you're going to have to sign a covenant to complete your membership. And at this time, what I want to do is I'm going to simply go over some reasons why you should stop dating the church and you should commit to membership in a local church. It comes straight out of uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Church. He made some good points. I'm just going to share with these with you. Now, if you aren't, if you are a guest and you end up going back home and doing whatever, right? This, the message is still for you. Just because you're not going to be a committed member here at this church or some of the Emmaus students, you only have a few weeks left. Get this message in your spirit. All right, don't call, don't call me up or call Aaron up. Call Aaron up, by the way, if you want to call up. <laughs> don't, don't call up Aaron three months from now and be like, oh, I'm, I'm discouraged and I'm having a hard time. And, you know, and my girlfriend broke up with me and I can't pray. You know, don't, don't do that, please. If you're committed to a local church, right, you shouldn't be having those kinds of problems. You get on fire for God here, and you tell me you go over there, and all of a sudden it's snuffed out. There's something you're not doing. Get this message in your spirit, Emmanuel students, college students. Go back and get committed to a local church right away. So here are some of the reasons why you should stop dating the church and commit. Number one, identity. Romans 12.5 says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Identity, number one, it will affirm and identify you as a genuine believer and as a member of this particular church. You get an identity. And some people, they love just the identity of just being a Christian. Hi, how are you? What do you believe in? I'm a Christian. Or do you go out to a local church? I'm a Christian. Because <laughs> the truth is, they've been hopping around three different churches in the last month. Now, I'm just, I just believe God. I just love God. You know, I just love God in my prayer closet. Okay. I'm thinking to myself, your character is probably weak. Your maturity is probably slowed down. And you're probably not being effective for the kingdom of God by yourself there. All right. Identity. When you belong to a church, you get an identity. Number two, edification. Membership provides a spiritual family to support and encourage your walk in Christ. Mark Dever said it like this. Growing as a Christian is not merely an individual matter. Rather, it is a matter for the whole church. If you grew up with both your parents... Well, you know, if it's, if it's a good home, right? It's not, you didn't only just look to your mama to raise you. You looked to your daddy to raise you, didn't you? Didn't you? It was a matter of the whole family. If you had older siblings, sometimes your older siblings, they do the meme. If you did something wrong, they the one who beat you. Why? Because it's a matter of the whole family. Your growth was a matter of the whole family. Same in the church. Hallelujah. I'm not the only one that's going to have the meme. All right? Your small group leader is going to have the meme. All right? Your wife may have the meme. <laughs> that's a different meme. 
but it's a matter for the whole church. Our growth is a matter, it's not an individual thing, it's a matter for the whole church. Discipleship is not an individual responsibility. It's not the responsibility of just your small group leader either. It is, discipleship is a communal responsibility. A corporate one. The Bible says, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Membership provides edification for your growth. Number three, equipping. Membership will give you a place to discover and use your gifts for ministry. The gifts that God's given you will always remain a mystery if you remain a mystery. I just made that up on the spot. Isn't that good? Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's a good line right there. Now, what was it again? <clears throat> the gifts that God has given you for ministry will remain a mystery if you remain a mystery. If you don't want to be known by anybody, you want to be Mr. In- Miss Independent. <laughs> Don't sing that. All right. Hallelujah. If you want to be misindependent, uh, look, check it out. You'll never reach your full potential. You'll never know what your gifts are. Because check it out. It's only in a community that you discover these gifts. It's only a community that you will refine these gifts. Everybody in here, you've been given gifts. And when you get filled with the Spirit, you get more gifts. You get supernatural ones. But you will never operate in those gifts. Unless you belong. You're committed. Unless you stop dating the church. Number four, covering. Oh, hallelujah. Covering. Membership places you under spiritual protection of godly leaders. Provides you with covering. You know, some people, they come in here. And they, they know about the deliverance ministry at our church. And they say, you know what? I've been getting demonic manifestations in my dreams. In the night. I know that there are demon spirits that are harassing me, oppressing me. I need your help. One of the first questions I ask them is, what church are you committed to? And almost every time, they will tell me, well, I, I, you know, I've, been, I've been looking for, you know, well, I have a hard time finding a good, good church. You know why, why the demons are so successful in keeping people like that down? Because they got no covering. They got... See, leaders, I'm not that tall, right? But leaders, they have aerial view because of the position of authority and responsibility that God places leaders in. They get this aerial view. So they're able to see things a lot easier than you can identify for yourself. And these leaders with the aerial view, what their responsibility is to provide you with a covering. But if you're not committed to a local church, you got no covering. You will make yourself vulnerable to all kinds of bad situations. And the leaders know exactly what I'm talking about. Without a covering, you will find yourself on, the kind, on the all kinds of attack. That's not my, my, my wish for you. you know, if I work with ministers like Andreas Bisoni, you know what I love about Andreas Bisoni when he came? He was committed to a local church. When I see ministers, that traveling ministers, they come and they might have a powerful anointing, 
But if they don't, if they're not committed to a local church, it's a big red flag. Say, so I probably won't call them again. God doesn't just care about gifting. It's a big red flag. If you if you are dating somebody, you're interested in somebody, and that person has a hard time committing to a local church, don't date them. Check it out. If they can't commit to a local church, they ain't gonna commit to you. If they can't put their tithe in the offering basket, they ain't gonna put a ring on your hand. It's gonna be fake rock. <laughs> Sisters, if you wanna if you wanna really marry well, you need to look into a church of committed men. Men that are not dating the church. Men that are serious. They, they, they want to love the church as Christ loves the church. They're the ones who will know how to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Number five, accountability. Mark Dever said it like this. Church membership is our opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love. You know, when we identify ourselves with a particular church, we let the pastors, members, and people from that church, we make it known to them that we intend to be committed in attendance, giving, prayer, and service. We allow others to have a higher expectation of us. That's accountability. When you're not committed, people, even right now, we don't even have formal membership, but I can, I can you know, identify people that aren't really committed. That are dating the church, you know. I see them. And you know what? If they ever ask me, how come you don't challenge me? Well, that's easy. You don't allow me to challenge you. How come you challenge Marcus and David Pio so much? You like lay the hammer on them? And, and, and it's, I know it's hard, but it's so loving. And, and I want that in my life. How come you only challenge them? I'll tell you why I challenge them like that. Because they allow me to challenge them like that. They ask for it. They say, give it a hammer. Thank you, sir. Lampstand of beaten gold. Hallelujah. But when you're not committed to a local church, you don't give anybody permission. You're just saying, you know what? Thank you very much. This is as close as you can get. Don't call me. Don't Facebook message me. Don't email me. This is my Christianity. You know what? That's their Christianity. That's their influence. Me, myself, and I. That's as far as their influence goes. Because that's as far as their commitment goes. As far as their accountability goes. Their vulnerability goes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a good word. Hallelujah. I'm getting blessed right now. Praise the Lord. I'm getting blessed. Now, as a pastor here, I'm not interested. Let me say right now. I'm not interested in leading a crowd. You know what? I love, I, I like preaching and ministering to a crowd. But check this out. I love leading a church. And I'm not here to lead a crowd. God's gonna take this crowd and turn it into a church. We might have the label of church, but we're not, we haven't really come into that season yet. We haven't really stepped up into that. And God is calling this congregation to step up into it. It's an exciting hour. That's some awesome stuff that's going to start happening here. Hallelujah. If you're making plans to leave, all right, change those plans. Like a lot of people did here. You know, Mina, Mina's here indefinitely. 
Hallelujah. She ain't stuck. She wants to be stuck. She's here. Hallelujah. Now, I believe that as church membership is firmly established at our church, people will no longer focus on going to church. We'll focus on being the church. Amen? It won't be about attendance. It'll be about accountability. That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Stop going to church, y'all. Let us stop going to church. Let us be the church. That's a good word right there. Hallelujah. And we will see the power of the kingdom manifest in the marketplaces, on the streets, in our homes, in missions fields, campuses, family reunions. We're going to see the power of God go out. Because we won't be a church that stays and waits for the lost to come to us. We'll be a church. Come on now. No matter how nice your yacht, your fishing equipment is, fish do not jump onto the boat. Check it out. As this church membership issue gets dealt with, evangelism at this church is going to be powerful. And the proven prophetic voices keep telling me, you got to get ready, Christian. Get your people ready. Because you ain't seen nothing yet. Brother Michael said, you see all this? Man, you got a wonderful congregation. They are so on fire for God. I went inside that prayer meeting and it was fire. (laughs) And Brother Michael, he was a guest speaker at a retreat last month. He just kept talking about how how wonderful our congregation is. And then you know what he said? He said, you know what? As I was praying, God gave me a prophetic word. Get yourself ready. Because this ain't even the tip of the iceberg. You ain't seen nothing yet. And then Pastor Paul this past week, he's like, dude, you ain't seen nothing yet. I want to keep coming out to preach just so that I can say I was part of this. (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. Hallelujah. But you know what? Part of getting ready is to get everybody to stop dating the church. Step up and commit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And be the church. Let's pray. Lord Father, we just ask that God, that every person in here, whether they are here for a while, or whether they're planning to go back home soon, may this word go deep down into their spirit, Lord. And may every person put their days of dating the church behind them. May they step up, commit, and love the church. To love the bride. To love the bride that you purchased with your blood. And not only to love the bride, but to be the bride. Teach your people, Lord, to commit to the church and to be the church that you have died to redeem. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.